0: I think pretty much all of us are familiar with the term, the big three. We've heard that in different contexts, in different ways. Maybe uh, you think of World War II and the leaders of the Allied powers, uh, the good guys, FDR and Winston Churchill, Joseph Stalin, who didn't turn out to be such a good guy. But at the time, he was part of the Allied leaders there. That's, they were known as the big three. Uh, There's also the big three automakers GM, Ford, Chrysler. They've had their struggles uh, recently, too. But they're uh, the big three automakers, maybe you think of them. And then there's in sports, when three individual superstars come together on the same team to try to win a title, a championship. That's especially common in the NBA, more and more, and um, you could argue that it ruins the NBA, but you know that's another conversation for another time. In this series that we're starting today, we're going to be talking about the big three, but a totally different kind of big three. We're going to be talking about three of the biggest lies that we all, in some way, shape, or form, tell ourselves and easily believe. So the big three, three of the biggest lies that we tell ourselves and easily believe. By no means uh, are these the biggest lies necessarily. There's others that we could look at, but I present to you these three that I think are among the biggest and most pervasive, most common lies that we hear, that we're inundated with, that we tell ourselves, and that we all, regardless of age... Or background that we all too easily believe. Here's the the lies that we're going to consider and seek to counter with the truth of God through this series, not just today. Today's message, though, is, I need X to feel Y. That's the first big lie that we're going to be talking about uh, in this series and today. I need X, whatever X might be, to feel Y. The next lie we're going to consider uh, next week, Lord willing, is I deserve blank. You fill in the blank. I'm owed something. I deserve something. I'm entitled. It's a big lie that we believe. And then last, that's just the way I am. So those are the lies we're going to consider in this series, and I pray that God will uh, really speak to you personally through that and, and provide application we all need to apply uh, the truth of God's Word and realize that we're all, we're all susceptible to these kinds of lies. None of these lies are new or unique at all. They're not unique to us. They're not original with us. They are literally as old as time, these lies, literally as old as time. These lies started out polluting a perfect garden, and they've been springing up and growing rampant ever since. So let's look at the, the genesis of these lies by looking at Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I invite you to look at that with me. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. And this is going to be, no doubt, a very familiar passage to most, if not all, of you. And it's the tragic turn of events in the origin story of humanity. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. God's Word says this, Now the serpent was more crafty or cunning than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. And the serpent comes back with, in verse 4, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, God's just really insecure. God doesn't he's afraid that you're going to reach the level that he's at and he doesn't want that to happen. So he's holding you back from what you need to be fulfilled. Oh, poor Eve, poor poor unfortunate soul Eve. You're just being held back by God. He's just he doesn't want you to reach your full potential. He doesn't want you to be complete. He doesn't want you to to be fulfilled like you deserve to be. Verse 6, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. There's a whole message there in itself. That's what happened. So she hears the serpent. He twists the truth of God, which is a lie. She believes the lie, and she tells herself, you know what? I think I do need that. I think I do deserve that. I think I'm going to take it. Here, honey bunches, munch on this. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Underneath the surface of the serpent's question and temptation of Eve, there was another more important question that she was faced with in that moment. Here's what the question was that was far more important that she needed to think about and answer. And here here it is. Can anything compete with how complete God makes me? That's the question that she, she really needed to ask. And it was a question that was hanging over her in that moment that she was faced with. Whether she recognized it or not, whether she acknowledged it or not, that was the question that was really being raised before her with what the serpent asked. Can anything compete with how complete God makes me? What did she really need to feel complete or fulfilled? That's what was being asked, really, in that moment. That's what was at stake. And everything hinged on that answer, on the answer to that question that she maybe didn't even realize was being asked. Everything hinged on how the answer was given to that question. Can anything compete with how complete God makes me? Everything hinged on the answer, and unfortunately, because of how she and Adam, with her, how they answered that question, everything came unhinged. Everything came unhinged. Adam and Eve decided that they needed something other than God to feel content or complete. And in their case, that other thing was the forbidden fruit and what the serpent claimed it would provide. You see, they traded God's truth for Satan's lie. And as a result, they were left with nothing. And that's what happens every time. Every time, God's truth is traded for a lie. No matter what that lie claims to provide or promises, When we trade God's truth and when we trade God as the source, the ultimate source of our fulfillment, of being content, of being complete, when we trade Him for anything else, we're ultimately left with nothing. And sadly, we didn't just inherit the results of Adam and Eve's decision. We did. We inherited the results of what they chose. But we also inherited a natural tendency to make the same kind of decision, to believe the same kind of lie. We do it all the time, every day. We, we inherited that, that natural bent toward looking beyond God for the fulfillment that only God can provide. We have that natural potential. We're prone to do that, to looking for other things to do what only God can do we commonly and easily believe the lie that if we could just have X, the right type or style of clothing, the right body type or a different appearance, a better school, a better church, a new car, a new house, that one special relationship that just keeps evading us, the dream job in the dream city, Etc., etc. If we could just have X, then we will finally feel Y. Or or maybe it's good things that, that you already have good things that God has given you, like a good family, a good job, a good home, a good car, good health. Maybe it's things that we already have. So it's not that we're necessarily searching for other things. Maybe it's the good things we have that we are wrongly making the source of fulfillment that they were never meant to be. See, that's what is also part of this lie that we tell ourselves and easily believe. That's the other part of it, that we surround ourselves with all these good things that God's given us and we elevate them up to where they shouldn't be. We have this tendency to elevate the gift above the giver. And we're all prone to this constant cycle of idolatry, where we take the good things that aren't even sinful in themselves, and we make them a God thing. And we try to draw fulfillment out of them that only God can provide. See, why the, the Y in this little equation, if I could just have X, then I... I will feel why. Why represents what we all want and search for, all of us. That's complete contentment and fulfillment or lasting joy. We all want that. Every single human being is on this search for complete contentment, for fulfillment, for lasting joy, for purpose, for meaning. But like Adam and Eve, when we look to anything other than God as the ultimate source of true fulfillment, eventually, we just end up with an empty blank. Every time. You see, searching for complete fulfillment in a source besides God never works because apart from God, fulfillment never lasts. We need to remember that. We need to believe that, not the opposite. Society says the complete opposite of that. And we're inundated with that message all the time. What you have is not enough. What you are is not enough. How you look is not enough. Where you live is not enough. Keep searching, keep searching. Fulfillment's out there, but it's not going to be found in God. It's not going to be found in what you already have. Keep searching, keep looking. But any search for complete fulfillment And a source besides God just never works. Because apart from God, fulfillment never, ever lasts. And we know that. We've experienced that. We feel that. That's true for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are, what you have already, what you've accomplished. It's true. It's a universal fact. You want lasting fulfillment? Go to the the only source that provides it. In a 2005 interview with 60 Minutes, quarterback Tom Brady said, 2005, okay, remember, 2005. At that point, he said, Man, I'm making more money now than I thought I could ever make playing football, and I have three Super Bowl rings, but why do I still think there is something greater out there for me? Like, it has to be more than this. Since that interview, he went on to win four more Super Bowls, but apparently, like U2's biggest song, he still hasn't found what he's looking for, because a few weeks after announcing his retirement earlier this year, he reversed course and will try for yet another ring in the upcoming NFL season. I think he's still going to be searching, though. I I don't think it's going to happen, if we're fortunate anyway. Yeah, so Tom Brady wasn't enough to have three. He kept going for more. He got four more. still not enough. He thought he was gonna be satisfied, thought he was gonna be fulfilled, thought he was gonna be happy. I'm done, I'm good, I've gotten everything I need, I've got all the accomplishments that I could want, I've got all the money I could want, I'm living in Florida, Grays. But it wasn't enough. He's back for more at forty almost forty five years old. You can tell I'm not a Tom Brady fan. He just said, it's not enough. It's not enough for me. I need more. I want more. There's got to be more out there. I'm still searching for that fulfillment. King Solomon the Wise would certainly agree with Tom Brady's considerations. Ecclesiastes 2, 1-11, he wrote down some observations of a personal case study he did in the search for fulfillment, and God has preserved that for us in His Word. Ecclesiastes 2, 1-11, Solomon writes, I said to myself, self come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless or vanity, empty, Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? Verse 3 I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. Verse 4 You could insert, so I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. Verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Verse 11. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun what Tom Brady experienced and shared in that interview and what King Solomon experienced and wrote about is exactly what's so sinister about the lie of self-fulfillment. You see, the promise is that once we finally have it, whatever your it is, whatever you finally have it, you'll be finally content and satisfied. But that's not what happens. See, we're we're satisfied with our, our clothes until we see what that other person is wearing. We're content with our car until we saw the new commercial on TV. We love our home until we have dinner at our friend's new house. We had such a great vacation until we got on Facebook and saw where they went for their vacation. You see, friends, comparison is the enemy of contentment. Comparison is the enemy of contentment. And unfortunately, we are in a comparison-obsessed culture. That's what we spend all our time doing. Facebook is the worst source of that. You feel pretty good about yourself until you get on Facebook or Instagram and you start looking and you're like, you know, the self-confidence fulfillment meters up here before you get on, you go on, it's like, and then you have to try to find more to fill up that fulfillment tank. That's what happens. Comparison is the enemy of contentment and there's no end to it. It's like the dandelions in your yard. Don't you hate dandelions? You mow, you weedy, you spray the stuff, and it promises you'll see no more weeds, no more dandelions, no more crabgrass. They lie. doesn't matter what you do. It keeps coming back. It's terrible. And that's how comparison is. There's no end to it. You're constantly comparing. When you think you have that area that you're comparing yourself with taken care of, there's another one that pops up to take its place. There's no end to it. So the question is: the question is, how do we fight it? How do we fight this enemy of our contentment, this comparison, and this constantly feeling like we need more, more and more and more and more? Well, first, we have to train ourselves to recognize and reject the lie of self-fulfillment every single time it comes at us. We have to train ourselves to recognize it and then to reject it. Pastor Scott was talking about his time in the DR with the missionaries there that we have. And we have another very dear sister in the Lord that's there in the DR. She's a member of our church, sister of John Paul, Kelly Cassandra, Kelly Castro. She's in the DR and has been now for a while. And she was in for John Paul's wedding. Congratulations, guys. Good to have you with us. And she came in for the wedding, and my wife and I were able to sit down with her and catch up and, and just really be encouraged ourselves at what God is doing in her life, in Kike's life, her husband, and the, the ministry there in the DR. And Kelly, in typical fashion, she was so honest and transparent. She said, you know, this has been good that I've been here back in the States. It's good to be home but I'm already really ready to get back. And, you know, you think it's because she wants to go back to see her husband and she's homesick, but that's not really why she was ready to go back. She said, I'm ready to go back because I'm already getting really complacent. I already find myself not wanting to leave the comforts that I have here. And we were at a Starbucks. We were sitting out. It was a nice, rare, hot, West Virginia sunny day. And we were sitting outside sipping our cold Starbucks drinks, and she held up the Starbucks and said, Like this. She said, You know, I, I don't miss this when I'm there. But when I'm back here, I start to become comfortable with everything, and then I go back to the DR and I start to get bitter because I don't have this kind of stuff there. And she said, Kiki is really good about lovingly telling her, Kelly. That's Satan lying to you saying, you need this thing or that thing for your fulfillment. Don't listen to him. And she shared just other examples of how her husband, this godly man that he is, helps her to recognize when the lie of the enemy is coming at her and to recognize this is not reality. This is not God's truth that I'm listening to right now. This is not God's reality that's hanging over me. This is something else. This is a lie that I I need to reject. So the first thing we all need to do, and this is an exercise, a constant exercise, because it's a constant assault. We're constantly inundated with the message, you are not enough, you don't have enough, you need more, search for more. So we have to constantly exercise and train to recognize and reject the lie of, of self-fulfillment every time it comes at us. That's the first thing. But it's not enough to just reject the lies that we hear and tell ourselves. Recognizing it, rejecting it, that's a big part of it, but it's not enough to just do that. We have to also replace them with God's truth. So recognize and reject the lie of self-fulfillment, but then replace those lies with God's truth. That's so vital. And friends, so often we miss that key step. We can get pretty good at recognizing the lie, but if we don't replace the lie, we're not really making any progress. Here's some examples that I want to provide you with how to replace the lies with God's truth. These are by no means exhaustive. These are just two examples I'm going to give to you, but I think these are two of the very best examples of how to replace the lie that's coming at you with the truth of God's Word. I think it directly answers and addresses this big, huge lie that we're talking about today, that if I just have X, then I'll feel Y. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. And these verses that I'm sharing, by the way, are from the NLT. I love the way the NLT translates these verses. Colossians 3 1 through 2, the Apostle Paul says this since you have been raised to new life with Christ, we talked about that at Easter. We said that everybody that's in Christ is identified with Christ through his resurrection, that we join his resurrection. As Christ was raised for us, if you're in Christ, you're raised up with him as well. And so our identity as Christians is with the resurrected Savior. That's your identity. If you've given Christ your life, He's raised you to new life with Him. That becomes your identity. You're no longer the you you used to be. Now you are identified with the resurrection life and power of Christ. So Paul says, since that's true of you, believer, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about, to train your mind, think about the things of heaven, which is true reality, the highest reality, not the things of earth, which is just a shadow. Everything about earth is just a shadow. Our reality, believer, is tied to the reality of heaven. And so we have to train our mind to operate that way, and that does not come easy and it does not come naturally, but it is possible or else God would not have this in His Word. God doesn't tell us to do something that He has not made the provision available for us to do. He gives us the ability to do everything He instructs us to do. And so Paul here says, think about what your identity really is. If you're in Christ, your identity's changed. Your name's changed. Your standing's changed. You have been raised to new life with Christ. So set your sights on that reality, the reality of heaven, your true home. Let that define you. Draw your purpose and your meaning from that, not the things of earth. And then Psalm 34, verses 8 and 9. I love this passage. Psalm 34, 8 and 9. The psalmist says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And I want you to see that as a contrast to Adam and Eve tasting the fruit that they thought was good that was completely the opposite. They tasted. They saw and they tasted the forbidden fruit that they thought was going to be so good for them, and it was the complete opposite. Psalm 34a here says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And indeed, He is very, very good. Don't you agree with that? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Can you say amen to that? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Fear the Lord, you His godly people, for those who fear Him, don't miss this, will have all they need. Those who fear the Lord will have all they need. He, and He alone, is the ultimate source of fulfillment for us. It's not going to be found in anyone or anything. It's not going to be found in things that you are searching for that are of the material type nature, and it's not going to be found in a materialistic way of life. It's not going to even be found in those good things, like your good family that you have, the good job you have, the church you go to. None of those things are going to be able to provide you that ultimate and lasting fulfillment that we all are hungry for. It's going to be found only in God. We need to believe that. We need to believe that. So I I want you to think about that. I I want you to ask yourself, what am I searching for? What am I looking for? What is my appetite being drawn toward? And if it's not ultimately, first and foremost, God, then you need to change your search. You need to change your appetite. doesn't mean that there aren't other fulfilling things in our life. doesn't mean that we can't draw fulfillment from anything else. I hope I hope you are fulfilled in your relationship with your spouse, and your relationship with your kids. I hope you do find fulfillment from your job that God has provided for you. I certainly hope you are fulfilled every time you come and worship together as the body here. But here's what I'm saying, church. Don't, don't miss this. None of those things are the ultimate source of fulfillment. None of those things are the lasting source of fulfillment. None of those things can provide complete contentment, and none of those things will be able to provide perfect peace. All of that is only going to be found in God. So here's what that means for all of us in summary. We need to view our God as our all in all. We need to view our God as our all in all. He needs to be more than enough in every single situation, everything that comes our way. He needs to be enough. So, are you ready to go to battle against self? Are you ready to go to battle against the lies that come at you? It all starts here, but it doesn't end here. It has to keep going, has to keep continuing And praise God, He's given us the Spirit of God to empower us as we go forward. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for how relevant it is. I thank You for how timeless it is. I thank You for how personally applicable Your Word is. Father, help us to spot to recognize the lies that come at us. We are inundated in our culture, a culture of comparison. We are saturated with the message that what we have is not enough, what we are is not enough. We need more, we need different. Help us to recognize the lie for what it is. Help us to reject that lie. But, Father, especially help us to replace the lie with your truth, the truth of your word, the truth of who we are in Christ, that we have been raised to new life with him if we are indeed in him. Help us to be defined by the realities of heaven, not of earth. Help us to keep coming back to you, to, to keep tasting and seeing how good you are, and that only in you will we find complete contentment and lasting fulfillment, and lasting joy. Help us with this, I pray, every moment of every day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.